0: Welcome to Invisible Arts with Richard Gibbs, brought to you by Armory of Harmony. One of my all-time favorite quotes from anyone came from Miles Davis. He said, Do not fear mistakes, there are none. I used to have dreams of performing with Miles Davis. Those real dreams, you know? These were dreams I didn't want to wake from. I was a classically trained rocker who worked his way backwards to jazz. Piano lessons at five, trombone and guitar at 10, school orchestras, stage bands, marching bands, and various rock bands. But when I was seventeen, my friend Joe Berardi turned me on to my Vishnu Orchestra. Otherworldly virtuosity that had one foot in rock and the other foot on what I can only describe as Martian soil. We drove across Florida to the only decent record store in the state so that we could spend hours looking through the bins. I would read the credits carefully, seeking the names that made Mahavishnu what it was. John McLaughlin, Mahavishnu's founder, had played guitar with Miles Davis. Other groups I was listening to in this explosion of discovery Chick Korea's Return to Forever, The Tony Williams Lifetime, Weather Report. <laughs> Each of their leaders had been part of Miles Davis's ensembles. Miles was clearly the source, the fountainhead of all that was becoming holy to me. My band teacher steered me to enroll at Berklee College of Music in Boston. Miles had become a mythical figure, someone not real. He wasn't just a god, he was a being who created gods. He was Zeus, Odin, Vishnu. He never came near my hometown of Daytona Beach. But he did perform at Paul's Mall in Boston. You'd best believe I was there, along with Joe, who had also enrolled at Berkeley, and every other acolyte who could squeeze into the place. Miles was heavy in his deepest, darkest funk rock phase. His band produced a roiling, churning bed of hellfire. Miles never once addressed the unwashed masses hanging on his every note. He played with his back to us. The only times he would even slightly turn our way was when he needed to empty the spit valve on his trumpet. But somehow, that didn't seem contemptuous to me. He was simply in the thrall of the maelstrom he was leading. He was in utter command. We stayed for two sets. I had noticed off to the side of the stage there was a second drum kit poised to be placed on stage. I thought it was odd as there was no opening act. During the first set, they rocked a song called Rated X. X. Miles played the Yamaha organ, now head down, facing the crowd, sort of. On the studio recording, Miles had played these demonic chords, stabbing in from time to time unpredictably. Even more unpredictably, Tio Macero, his producer, would suddenly hit the solo button on the organ track in mid-boil. The effect was unnerving and musically jarring. Check it out. The effect was nearly impossible to pull off live, but Miles did. As he was playing the organ with his right hand, he would reach behind his body with his left hand and give quick cutoff signals and re-entry signals to the band. The band, two percussionists, three guitarists, bass player and drummer, played their hearts out while simultaneously watching for those hand signals with what I can only describe as abject terror. They were spot on except once. The drummer must have blinked or looked away for just a microsecond and missed the cutoff. Everybody else stopped dead, but there was one errant extra cymbal hit. The hapless drummer choked the cymbal too late. Miles, still holding that chord of oblivion, slowly turned to look at the drummer. Next set, new drummer playing the other kit. Apparently, there are mistakes you should fear. Our local surfing country doctor in Malibu, Jeff Harris, was also Miles's doctor when he lived out here. They became good friends. I gave the good doctor ring to hear his stories of Miles. Jeff? Yep. Miles invited you to go to a Lakers game with courtside seats. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He liked to go to
1: these games and keep his eyes closed and listen to the footwork and the sounds of the game. And He really enjoyed that as much as the visual experience and the energy of the crowd. And similarly, he would close his eyes during a good portion of the boxing matches and listen to the punches and listen to the footwork of the boxers. People often sort of misinterpreted him turning his back to the crowd, when in fact closing his eyes and opening his eyes and seeking those perfect sounds and notes. This is a way he could really tune in to the sounds and then conduct what he wanted from the groups. So he was obviously into auditory stimulation. One of the things that I enjoyed doing with Miles was painting. He would uh, encourage me to paint a few things into some of the paintings that he did for Kirby Hancock and for others. The other thing he enjoyed out here in Malibu was riding courses. He really was a warm and caring person with those he, he knew well.
0: I'm glad Jeff confirmed my youthful supposition that Miles meant no disrespect by turning his back to his audience. After all, Leonard Bernstein and Arturo Toscanini kept their backs to the audience when conducting an orchestra for the same reason, and no one complained. All classical conductors literally faced the music. Unfortunately, Miles' attention to musical perfection and supreme confidence were commonly misconstrued as aloofness and even snobbery. My favorite joke about Miles back in the day trades a bit on that misconception. The world's most enthusiastic jazz fan dies and goes to heaven. He is waiting at the pearly gates while St. Pete checks him in. He hears an incredible sound emanating from a cloud inside the gates. It is a jazz band like no other. He exclaims to Pete, Hey, that's Coltrane on tenor. Pete doesn't even look up from his paperwork. Yep, we got him. And Bird, you got Bird on alto? Yep, got him too. The guy rattles off everybody in the band. Count Basie on piano, Duke Ellington conducting, Tommy Dorsey, Louis Armstrong. He truly is in heaven. But wait, he says. Who's the old guy with the long beard playing trumpet? He's the only one I don't recognize. Pete turns around to look. Ah, geez, he says. That's God. He thinks he's Miles Davis. In 2012, I started an informal weekly breakfast with a couple of fellow Malibu-based composers. We met, and still do, every Monday morning for breakfast, come rain or shine. I dubbed us, tongue-in-cheek, the Composer's Breakfast Club. We grew over the years from 3 to 70, 80, 90 people noshing together with featured speakers every time. Recently, we had to move to Zoom meetings because of COVID. One of our guests was the great drummer, Lenny White, speaking to us from New York. Lenny played drums at the very tender age of 19 on one of Miles' most groundbreaking albums, Bitches Brew.
2: When I was 17, I heard a record called Seven Steps to Heaven, and that's a Miles Davis record. And on that record... The drummer was 17 years old when he made the record. That drummer was Tony Williams. Immediately, he became my guy, and that was my goal, to be able to play with Miles Davis.
0: There used to be a practical joke that musicians would play on each other when Miles was still alive. They would call each other in the middle of the night, imitate Miles and say,
3: Hey, Richard. He mom
0: tomorrow morning, nine a.m. So I asked Lenny, "Was it like that?"
2: It was even better than that because he called, and my mom answered the phone. <laughs> and, uh, check it, no, check it out. This is for real. So my mom answers the phone, and I hear my mom saying, "Who is this? <laughs> Who? You better speak up." Because if you don't speak up, I'm going to hang up this phone. <laughs> <laughs> and so then she hands me the phone. And, but the fact is, that she didn't know. She couldn't hear him. Miles said, come to my house. Uh, I want you to rehearse. And it was Chick uh, Dave Holland, Jack Jeanette, Wayne Shorter, and myself. And all he asked me to bring was a cymbal and a snare drum. And all we rehearsed is the beginning of Bitches Brew. It's like a little da 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 And then he said, be at Columbia Studios tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. He said, think of this as a big pot of stew, and I want you to be salt. That's all he told me. Now, what musical knowledge am I supposed to use to be salt? I learned how to create music before I learned how to play it. In that instance, that kind of shaped how I hear and get into whatever musical situations I can get into.
0: For those of you lucky enough to live in New York, Lenny has been teaching a class at NYU Steinhardt, where he also has an ensemble. The class is called The Miles Davis Aesthetic, and it's all about Bitches Brew.
2: I've taught this class now for seven semesters. And what I do is I ask the students to give me four artists that would be the best representation for their music. And for seven semesters, they came up with the same four artists.
0: And they were?
2: This is 2020. These kids were born in 2000. So who do you think that they said? Beyonce. Yes.
3: <laughs>
2: Kanye. Kanye West. Bake it
3: do it. Better faster stronger. Can only make us stronger. I need you to hurry up, man. Cause I can't wait much longer.
2: Kendrick Lamar. That's
3: three. Yeah, yeah. Hey. I remember syrup sandwiches and crumb allowances. but a nigga with some counterfeits, but now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lives in fact, I'm down in this. say with my boo tastes like too aid for the analyst. Gaga. Gaga.
2: it, those four wow. for seven semesters they all have come up with those same four artists now with those four artists being what their musical knowledge and their musical vision is I gotta talk about Miles Davis
0: all roads lead to Miles Davis but unfortunately a lot of people don't know how to read a map anymore Singer and songwriter for the band Mr. Mister of Broken Wings fame, Richard Page, lives across the gully from me. I had the great honor of producing his solo album, Peculiar Life in the Woodshed. He told me one day of his singular experience meeting Miles. But first, for context, a little bit of Broken Wings.
4: We were re- re- rehearsing for a, a, a tour, and there are three studios there. We had the big one, the medium size, and the small one. And we heard through the wall, dum, dum, da, dum. Dum, dum, da, dum, dum. and we thought, well, somebody over there knows we're here, and it's somebody we know, right? Someone sort of messing with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody just playing with us. So Steve and I go out, and we walk over to the door, and Steve opens the door and looks in, and he shuts it quickly. And he says, Oh my God i like, what? Who is it? He goes, it's Miles. <laughs> I said, Miles who? I literally. I said, Miles Davis. I go, come on. And I opened the door. And there's Miles and his band playing our song. And Miles has got his back, and he's in the corner.
3: And
4: we just look at each other and go, dude. <laughs> Was this really happening? You know, yeah, I've died. And so we waited and waited and waited for, for Miles to come out, and he finally came out. We confronted him, we said, Hey, Miles, and he
2: goes, hey, what, what,
4: what you want, man? And uh, we said, Well, we're, we wrote that song, and he goes, You'd that motherfucking song, man, like that. <laughs> and and he did a little shadow boxing too, really, for us. You know, he refused to believe that we were who we were, that we had written that song for some reason, I don't mm-hmm. know. And then he just left, got in the limo, and took off. We never saw him again.
0: There is one chord that encapsulates all things Miles Davis for me. As a film composer, my job is to manipulate emotions with music. A chord in the surrounding tonality can radically change the vibe of a scene. The opening guitar chord on Miles' song shh, peaceful, off of In a Silent Way, covers many feelings in one chord. The major chord is played, but the sus4 is superimposed on top. This adds the feeling of lack of resolution, and for good measure, throws in the spice of dissonance and ugliness, and it is just three notes playing together. True genius in his simplicity. One can go anywhere emotionally from those three notes. Here's the major. So it takes that and adds the sus4 to it, but keeps the major as well. So it's... Which is also, for good measure, throwing in that, that dissonant chord, but in this context, it doesn't feel ugly. go anywhere emotionally from those three notes. years back, my alma mater, Berkeley College of Music, held a fundraiser where one could sponsor a dorm room in the new building on campus. The idea was the sponsor got to name the room after his or her favorite artist with a brushed steel plaque permanently affixed next to the door along the lines of the Jerry Garcia Room, with thanks to Chris and Aaron Swayze. I signed up a bit late in the process and assumed all the good names were taken. I tried anyway. Weather Report? Taken. Mahavishnu Orchestra? Long gone. Almond Brothers? Nope. I kept going lower on my list of preferences. I knew the King God of Jazz himself was out of the question. Berkeley College of Music, after all, started out life as a jazz school. I didn't even ask. I was becoming discouraged, was about to hang up when I just laughingly blurted out, Well, I know Miles Davis had to be the first room name. The guy on the other end of the phone started scanning the list. Nope? You want that? Hell yes! So now, room 1518 in the Berkeley dorm has a stainless steel plaque that says, Miles Davis Room, with thanks richard gibbs 77 that'll do that's the closest i will ever come to having a credit next to miles davis and i'm way good with that
5: invisible arts is
0: produced at woodshed recording in malibu california My name is Roger Brown, President of Berklee College of Music.